called the fake news the enemy of the people, and they are. It's a serious question. I, I appreciate your passion. I share it. I've addressed this question. I've addressed my personal feelings. And I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. You're listening to Just Ask the Question, adventures in reporting with your host, Brian Karam. Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am Brian Karam, and today we're here with an old friend, Paul Schwartz, who has worked with customs in the past, and Paul is going to walk us through some of the problems of the administration's uh, border protection policies. Uh, but, Paul, before we get to that question, uh, tell me a little bit about your work in customs. You worked up and down the border. Right. I was uh, with the Customs Service for 30 years, uh, and then I moved on to Homeland Security when that was stood up in 2003, and then I ended my career with FEMA uh, after Katrina. But during my time with the Customs Service, uh, I was at both the World Trade Center and a headquarters here, and my time at headquarters, I was the Director of Trade Enforcement. In that capacity, I was quite familiar with the, all the border crossings along the southwest border from Ote Mesa and uh, San Ysidro through Nogales, Calexico, uh, Laredo, El Paso, Brownsville, McAllen, all of them. And the key is— You were on the Texas-Mexican border. The tex- yeah, the so southwest you ne- border. you never covered the border that was uh, without the river to, to the well, Rio— Right, except maybe El Paso. Well, uh, it was it was throughout the the uh, border. So I mean, we're not nineteen hundred miles. Uh, oh yeah, I was as my capacity in headquarters. Yeah. I was I would deal with all of those uh, ports of entry, the entry California, level. California, Arizona. Arizona, and um, New Mexico and Texas. So let me just ask the question: If you build a wall, won't crime fall? That is what makes me bristle is that the lack of understanding there is no a, a wall a border wall is not a cure-all now during the campaign he he envisioned the great wall of china along the full 2000 now he's backing off of that because finally he's waking up that a wall is it's not practical number one but it also doesn't address the issue he is a there's a difference what between is the issue the, that is not being addressed the, the, well i'm glad to see that finally both the administration and the uh the news uh media finally recognize that the illegal drugs that he keeps on referring to nine percent of them come through the ports of entry and there's a reason for that you load the containers it's all about containerization you load the containers on the backs of the trucks they go through the ports of entry that's where you, you have the smuggling because you don't have enough personnel. Wait a minute. You load the containers. You through, load, load, with walk the, me through the process. Okay. You load containers with drugs or people. Well, you drive them through, in, in the case of Laredo at the uh, New World Trade Bridge, right. where, where all this is a, a bridge just north of Laredo, where um, it's an international trucking bridge. It's, it's a commercial bridge right. that you have. So in, that's the largest inland port in the United mm-hmm. States. Then you have ports along the coast and across the river. So take it from there. The, the, the containers come up 
as people are shipping goods across the border. And inside these containers, they hide drugs and people. Yeah, this is how the process works. First of all, you have hundreds of these containers. In other words, they're loaded up, and they don't get... It's not like uh, just loading up a truck. It's loading up the container that goes on the truck. So you load them up, and they don't get unloaded until they get to their port of destination. Which, which could, could be, be anywhere Jersey, in the United States. It could, right. be, uh, it, it could be any place. I keep saying Omaha, just like yeah, saying Omaha. Yeah, yeah. I think they went to Omaha. I don't think a lot of trucks go to Omaha, <laughs> but... Could. We're not insulting people in Omaha. So it's not a question of the, the uh, people who own the merchandise that's being shipped. They may not be the ones who are putting uh, illegal we're, we're, drugs right. or hiding so away. So the illegal drugs and stuff come in through the, the points ports of entry. A wall won't stop that. What will stop that? How many of these trucks that come across, what percentage get inspected? All right. That's the key. There is so much volume that goes across the ports of entry. Uh, that's why it's, if you're going to be smuggling something, you don't want to smuggle it between the ports of entry and draw attention to yourself. What you want to do is get it through the port of entry so you have free reign to go throughout the rest of the country. So whether, so you- So you drug dealers count on the fact that there are uh, a small percentage that are searched. Do we know what that percentage is? It's a very small, and what they do is, or what Customs does is they use what is called a select, activity criteria to trigger when an examination is going to be done, all right? So what's needed is, obviously, x-ray machines, drones to, to oversee what's going on throughout the uh, entire border uh, to see when somebody's trying to get around it. When, when Trump says that... Well, well wait a minute. Let, let me go back. So what exactly triggers... A search. A search could be anything from. I mean, uh, is, it strict, is there a metric to it? In other words, is it just numbers? Do no, we no. say every five no, we no. pull over? Well, they, the two things. They there is selectivity criteria that is specific. In other words, if let's say you're an importer of a certain type of merchandise, and then all of a sudden you change into a different commodity, that's a uh, an, that's an anomaly that triggers an examination. In so on one day I'm transporting uh, sofas, the next day I'm transporting meat. You, it, could, it could also is be... Is that what you're saying? There? Absolutely, yeah. but it could also be something like the port of uh, origin. If all of a sudden an importer is bringing in something all along from Colombia, and then all of a sudden he changes... Or, or Colombia is one of the ones that would trigger an exam... But if it, you bring it from a different country and then all of a sudden you change, that's something that's just like – think of IRS. You okay, uh, I have uh, – Yeah, so, but, but uh, let me, I okay. don't want to get too far ahead. So okay. there are certain countries – you mentioned Colombia. There are certain countries that also trigger right. a search. If you're on a, a, so a terrorist watch list, it'll trigger an examination. So you could be on a terrorist watch list. It could be the country of origin. It could be changing where you shipped from. Right. You could be changing what you shipped. And Any, that just anything else? The ex well, it could, it's a whole host of things. It's not just a, a couple of things. Uh, but the point is, it's specific criteria. Or you also have what they call randoms, where based on the number, they, it, it, your number just right. might come up. So that's how they do it. And the reason they have to do it is because so the volume is so high, they don't have the staff to be able to look at everything. No, you would never get goods across the country would never, right so there's a whole list of things that trigger searches and yeah. still with the list and with the manpower that we have the number of searches that we're able to uh, conduct at the border is minuscule compared to the a volume of goods coming into the country right yes so drug dealers that i've spoken to <laughs> say they merely figure it as overhead right so they're going to pay a guy and they said look it's easier for me to just pay a guy 
to put it on the damn truck and they take care of hiding it and all that stuff. And then it goes to, we know where the point where it's going to disembark at. So if you load it in Nuevo Laredo and it unloads in Denver, they got a guy in Denver who's going to pick it up right. there. Right. So pay 50 grand or whatever. If it gets caught, that's the cost of overhead, and that raises the price of the drugs. But it, that all of this is nonviolent, right. and it's simply capitalism. Well, all right, Isn't but, that easier than going into a, a situation out in the middle of nowhere and having to truck the stuff all over yourself? Well, what it, that also does is if you go in between the ports, uh, you, you're drawing attention to yourself by right. going through them. But and the, it's a higher cost. I mean, as a, a drug dealer explained to me, he said, look, I, you know, coyotes will shoot at me too. Right. If I send something across in the desert, I've got to, I've got to pay for the, for the conveyance vehicle and I've got to pay guys to, you know, like uh, go with it, armed guards. And that's why Brian, when the president says, well, all they do is they make a left to go through the, between the ports rather than through the port. It just shows his naivete in dealing with this issue. The other thing to keep in mind is it's lucrative, right? So the, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but there are it's very lucrative even for federal employees to be paid off to allow some of this stuff in. And a lot of the arrests that are made with uh, internal affairs are uh, employees of customs, all right? I'm not saying it's 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 a large number, but there are uh, events where they they find that some of the people working to release this merchandise into the country are also being paid off because that's a lot more lucrative than a federal paycheck. So especially when you weren't getting a federal paycheck for three weeks, one would argue that you may have encouraged additional illegal smuggling. That is a a uh, inference you can uh, draw absolutely, but I'm not. Trying to point fingers. I'm How just many saying people that a year get popped that work for customs that that take money? It's it's an ongoing thing. I don't have the exact number of people. Right, I, I wouldn't expect. Yeah, 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 you've been out of the. But I mean, it's it's not it's like an one thing. or two every it, ten it, years. It, right. No, it's much more than that. You know, and for obvious reasons, because it is a lucrative uh, business, and that's why this. Uh, you know, there are places along the border that can, I, I dis disagree a little bit with the Democrats where there are places along the border and, and the ones along the border, those places are identified by the people who know, which are the Border Patrol. And if you could build a barrier to help the Border Patrol control the illegal immigration, it's not about drugs. It's not about it's about the illegal immigration illegal immigration which is an issue all right so if you if as long as it is illegal then the border patrol mans that territory so if you could build a barrier to help them as a deterrent or at least help them uh, do their jobs that's not something we should be against but that's not envisioning the great wall of china right see the shi shining sea as well i think Trump the president in, the in, in the defense of the president i believe he has backed off from the 1900 mile see-through wall but I, I, more to the point, you can tunnel under walls, you can go over walls, you can go around walls, you can put a ladder on a wall. Because it's not a cure-all. It's and not a, a cure-all. The, the wall is no cure-all. Right. I like that better than right. build the wall and crime will fall. The wall right. is no cure-all. Absolutely. Um, but, and, and to the president's point, he says he is discussing those other things, but even those who support a wall along the border, and there are, and I've spoken with them you know, that, that don't, um, and, and that do, None of nobody places it in the realm of uh, a national emergency. Right. 
Well, let me tell you something. I, I mentioned that I also uh, ended my career with FEMA after Katrina. And uh, so I do understand national emergency. And I do know that you, uh, the disaster relief fund is not intended to be used for political uh, for political promises. It's, right. it's intended for national natural disasters like Katrina, like Maria, like the wildfires in California, and it's not supposed to be used for other things like when there is no crisis. And you know, he's he's talking about because uh, it, it doesn't look like he's going to get money for something he can call a wall, and he does threaten to, to uh, you know, announce a, declare a national emergency. I don't think that'll hold up. I think he'll get a lot of pushback from Republicans because that is a bad precedent to set. Right. Because the next, I would hope that if that does happen, the next Democratic president will declare a real national emergency, which is gun safety and the mass shooting okay let's not go there this show isn't about that but that's another show entirely that they have to consider when they're when he's looking into declaring a national emergency just for this political promise when we look at this border issue look you know i i spent some time there so again i confess that i do have a bias in this because i've covered it um and, and my bias is i think there is after assimilating 35 years of information on the border uh, covering it off and on, right. uh, there is a crisis on the border. It, the crisis is endemic, institutionalized, generational uh, poverty, a lack of, of infrastructure and um, a lack of education, a lack of health care, a lack of understanding. Um, those border areas are communities. Now, we may be two different countries, but, for example, in Laredo, in the Nuevo Laredo, that's really one community community there right. are two different fa- countries one, one community. community and it's you know it's no different than you know Texarkana being in Texas and Arkansas or Kansas City being in Missouri and Kansas it's it's basically one big community and there are family members that live across both sides when I was in Laredo and they, and they mesh right and so I don't think any of our uh, I don't know that we take that into account when we consider our border problems. Well, two things. First, when I when I was in Laredo, what struck me was I could not feel any more like being in Mexico without being in Mexico than being in Laredo. All right, the food is better in the well of Laredo. <laughs> I'm going to tell you the menudo is better, and I can't find if if anyone is out there and reopen Rosita's for the love of God. They used to have the best. Oh, the the best uh, beef fajitas made out of skirt steak and not sirloin, and now they've got it's bad. I went back to Laredo, and all those authentic restaurants are gone. I had to go across the border and find my little dive in Nuevo Laredo to get good carne asada and good menudo. Well, but the key the key point is that there is a major difference between. No, I'm a, talking about food, man. I'm a foodie. <laughs> go ahead. Between a, a campaign promise, which is be, re, really just a soundbite, all right, is a buzzword, no substance behind it, and actual policy development. What they're doing now with the com- the uh, the committee uh, of comprised of both the Democrats and the Republicans, I'm hoping is to actually develop a comprehensive plan for implementation that covers all of these aspects of it, not just the wall, all right? That uh, it, it's well. It's the, the question I asked about when you talk about you have refugees, you have people who have walked across hundreds, if not thousands, of miles to get to the U.S. I spoke with a woman from 
um, Georgia, who I had to speak with her via a friend of hers because we both knew Italian and nobody knew English or Spanish. So I'm speaking to a woman in Italian who's talking to another woman in Russian who's translating it back. But that woman paid $16,000 to stand on an international bridge for days on end seeking asylum, trying to do it the right way. Right. And it's it's the empathy that I, I find that is missing in our policies. There are children that I see suffering, and, and I, that may not appeal to many people, but it does to me. I mean, I know it does to you. Well, the thing is, if you have a comprehensive plan that addresses all of these aspects of the uh, – along the border, all right, which the main thing is that illegal immigration, which are trying, because that's what that wall is about. It's about stopping illegal immigration. It's not about stopping drugs as we've gone over. So when you have the policy that actually But it won't that, stop illegal it, immigration. It, it won't. That's why the plan that they're developing has to be comprehensive. It has to be investment into more than just bricks and, and, and steel. What do you think, three things, what do you think are the top three things they need to invest in? Well, they have to understand why these people from Guatemala need to escape at any and all costs, all right? So maybe investment in that and dealing with that, but also you have to address the people who are already here, all right? Uh, DACA and and the, uh, the uh, temporary uh, protective status. Those are all things that have to be built into this comprehensive plan to address all of these. And if you do that, if you bring in, if you cover everything, Hopefully, you'll have less of an issue about the illegal immigration. Well, you know, and, and there are those who say our foreign policy created a lot of the problems in the Western Hemisphere and that we've, we're reaping what we sow. Well, and, and also the uh, zero tolerance, obviously, I mean, he's backed off on that, but that's what created the, the real humanitarian crisis with children being separated from their parents. If that's not a violation of the Eighth Amendment, cruel and unusual punishment, I don't know what is. So, but now because they created they such don't know a what mess, is <laughs> they created such a, a a problem that they still are hundreds of, of people that still have to be uh, connected again, and that's really frightening. I can't think of anything more horrible than a, a small child being separated from the parents. Yeah. Uh, well. As parents, as both of us are parents, I, yeah, yeah, I have, I feel a, a special. Uh, when I see that, it it just hurts on a level that I I I didn't think was possible. And, I, and I'll go without a, losing my own child. I'll go a step further. You know, it was pretty easy to shut down the government because of this to deliver this campaign promise. But I got to tell you, it's a lot more than just the wall. Why he shut down the government? That that was part of a much bigger pattern that he's been attacking the federal workforce from day one. I'm talking about uh, coal, uh, cost of living increases, retirement benefits, underfunding the agencies, and putting people in charge of the agencies to basically dismantle it. When you put Rick Perry in charge of energy, that's pretty frightening. Betsy De uh, DeVos in charge of education, Zinke, Pruitt. That's all a pattern of much bigger than just a wall and shutting down the government. There was no excuse for the uh, government workers being held literally hostage. If that's not extortion, I don't know what is. And if extortion is not, does not rise to uh, high crimes and misdemeanors, I don't know what well, does. Well, we've just gone from the border discussion to impeachment. Uh, <laughs> but when we talk about the border and empathy, um, um, I... I I don't know that there's a full grasp of the human cost of what we're talking about, and nor do I think that some people really care. I, I think it. Uh, I think they 
the wall is oh, touted Stephen as... Miller doesn't care. Well, and he's yeah. representative of the base that I, I think that the campaign promise was intended to uh, satisfy. You worked in the federal government for many years. 37 years. What do you think of that? I think it's an affront to all the hard workers. I, I mean, sometimes the feds get a, a bad reputation, but my experience is that we took our jobs very seriously. And, and when you have people working without pay is, is a big problem. That's demoralizing. Having people at home saying that they're not essential and not getting paid, that's demoralizing in its own right, you know? So it was a – the damage that was done with that 35-day shutdown is not going to be easily overcome, not to mention all of the other uh, – uh, Well, Larry Kudlow said yesterday, and I believe it was also Mnuchin, and Hastert doesn't agree with it, I believe, but uh, Kudlow and Mnuchin said, hey, look, it's just flicking a switch. We're back in gear and – you know, it didn't cost us anything, and it's no big deal. Yeah, for those who were uh, were able to afford taking out loans per uh, uh, what's uh, his face, uh, the one from Commerce, I forgot his name already. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. So uh, Wilbur Ross, his idea. Well, we try to forget Wilbur whenever <laughs> possible, but he is fun when he comes I mean, talk, out. And talk about out of us. touch, but it's also the establishments that rely on uh, the. Uh, federal workforce for their lunches when they go out to work. I mean, they're not going to get back that money, you know, the profits right. that they lost. The other thing I, I just want to mention is about the appropriations process. Remember, Trump did say that Mexico was going to pay for the wall, all right? So clearly Mexico is not. But here's something to think about. Why, he, why do you get the idea Mexico will not? Was it, was it the former, well, <laughs> former president flipping the, us off saying the, we're not going to pay for your the, fucking the wall? The question is, <laughs> how or why would Mexico pay for it? Now, if he was talking about tariffs, tariffs obviously uh, are not paid for by the manufacturing company or the shipping company or the import of record. It's put onto the price that the American consumer pays. It does impact the country uh, that's shipping the merchandise to an extent, but the actual money collected on the tariff is paid for by the American well, consumer. Well, it doesn't suppress the economy of the... Absolutely. Right. But, so then the question is, why, how is Mexico paying for it? So now he's saying that it's indirectly paying for it. And he's talking about the U.S.-Mexican-Canadian agreement, which is the new NAFTA. So even if the new NAFTA, which I don't believe it does, but even if the new NAFTA generated the econ uh, stimulated the economy, that money does not find its way into the general fund, which even if it did find its way into the general fund, would have to be appropriated by Congress. So again, how is, how is Mexico paying for it? But here's something else. If let's say he's right, if let's say that the uh, stimulated economy from the agreement, the Mexican-Canadian-American agreement, somehow paid for the wall, then the question is, Brian, why is yes. Canada paying for the wall? Because <laughs> Canada was in the same agreement. Well, we don't like Canada either. <laughs> so we like, we like Russia, but we're not real fond of if Canada. If Canada was paying for it, they would build the wall along the southern border of Canada <laughs> to keep Rand Paul out from getting his health care. <laughs> That's just my thought. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, you're in the wrong <laughs> business, you know. Hey, hey now. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know if you feel comfortable uh, talking about this, but you are a friend of mine. And if you don't feel comfortable, I understand. But, um, you know, you and I shared something and, and you lost your son. Yes. And um, was it, how old was he? 
He was 40 years old. And um, I, you and I have talked often about our children. And um, how did, I, I, I don't know if you feel comfortable or not talking about it, but one of the things I remember when I was with America's Most Wanted was um, the, the thought that uh, when you go through something like that, you're alone, but you're not. A lot of people have gone through it as well. How did, I mean, you've got to get through it on a daily basis. I don't know how you do it. And I love you for it. I got to tell you, I do. Well, the thing is that uh, the pain doesn't go away. The pain is with me every day. Uh, And my emotions run from uh, guilt to sadness to uh, anger uh, to regrets, many, many regrets. You know, my son was, was killed in a motorcycle accident. Uh, he, he lived overseas. He left behind six small children. Uh, so the pain, the pain doesn't go away, but you, you sort of like get not used to it, but you accept that you have to deal with it every day and you try to move on. And a lot of the work I do and I get involved in serves as a distraction for, for the emotional, uh, you know, issues that I have with that. Uh, but I also, the longer, you, you focus more, the longer it goes on, it's two years now, is uh, you focus on the joy also. And I think back constantly, because I think about them all the time. I think back all the wonderful times we had together. And that's important to me, you know. Uh, my son was, uh, he liked to party. Uh, and uh, Hey now, I he, like him already. <laughs> he, he, he liked to do his, his DJ work. Uh, he liked, liked to dance. He was... Uh, he, he was the most likable guy. I mean, you couldn't meet him without liking him. He was a very likable guy. Uh, and so his, his loss is, is hard. But uh, like I say, I've tried to focus more on the, the good times now and not dwell on the, uh, the sadness, which is somehow I, always with us. And, I, and, and I'm not trying to exploit it. I, and please, anybody listening, it's, it's fascinating to me. It's as a parent. You know, I have uh, children, and one of my children reminds me a lot of, of of the way you described your your son. And you always wonder, you know, there but for the grace of God go I, and you know that uh, any day something that's the that's the parents' fear. Yeah. And so, to other parents who are going through it, or or children who have lost someone, or anyone who's lost anyone, what's your recommendation? Well, it's it's hard to even imagine pre, uh, having your child predecease you. It's just unimaginable, uh, and so there's no there's no word. To, you know, one of the things uh, my wife and I went to uh, uh, some counseling groups and things like that, and the main difference between all the people who when this happened, said that, you know, their, their thoughts are with us. They're talking about gun safety. Thoughts and prayers were with us. Uh, that the, gets old, doesn't it? It does get old. <laughs> God uh, knows they mean well, but it does get old. When they ask, how are you doing? Well, you know, you'd like to say, <laughs> how do you think I'm doing? But, but I understand they're, they're meaning, they, they mean well, all right? But the main difference between people like me and people like them is they at least can take the solace in saying, Thank goodness it didn't happen to me. And we're in that situation where there's no way of getting around it. It happened to us, and it's unimaginable, but it happened. And uh, 
we try to deal with it best we can, but there's no easy way. Life has changed from here on out, you know? Yeah, there was a, years ago, John Walsh, you know, I, I think I told you when I was with America's Most Wanted, he said, uh, the way he described it is um, his wife and him are members of a club. Uh, they didn't ask to become members of that club, right. and they don't want any other members in that club. Right, that's a good way of putting it. That's absolutely correct, you know? It's not something you wish on anyone. It's the most horrible thing, you know. I would gladly have, have traded places with them, you know. But uh, it is what it is. And uh, we're, we're very uh, fortunate that we, we have our daughter was, uh, was very solid when we were going through this. Uh, and the three of us recognize the loss we have. Uh, we have the grandchildren that we... Uh, we try to help. As I say, they, they are overseas, but uh, we stay connected. That's that's my connection to him is through them, you know, and they are the six most kids, six ones. Age, they're, right now, they're, they, their age is from like three to, to 11, uh, the range. And it's interesting the way he had them is that the two older ones are twins uh, and they have each other as, as close friends. Then the two girls were only a year apart. They're eight, nine. And uh, they'll have them, each right. other for the rest. And then the two youngest boys are like uh, three and four. So they'll and always have they'll each always other. have each other, you know. So he he paired them up. <laughs> he was always thinking ahead, my son. Uh, you know, so, that's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> and they're all really beautiful and good kids, and very. I know he, if he's able to watch over them from above, he's doing that, and he should be very proud of what he left behind. Well, that's and, and I, I, you know, I. I I, I hate to go in there, but I had to go there because okay. it. Um, I just think that uh, people go through their lives, and you, you correct me if I'm wrong, but people go through their lives, oftentimes ignorant of what other people are going through. That's for sure. And think they they have it really bad. Yeah. And then I marvel. And, and and I'll be honest with you, you're like one of my heroes because I marvel at the fact of what you've gone through and here you are. I don't know how I would handle yeah. such a, an event. And if you don't know Paul and you're getting to know him for the first time, beautiful human being, but just the strength the man has is just, so I couldn't go through putting this on the air and not thanking you for being an inspiration to me. Well, thank goodness for Donald Trump because he is a distraction. <laughs> That's the one good thing about him being in the presidency is he is a distraction for me. So, <laughs> Well, that's a nice way to put it. <laughs> so back to that. <laughs> back to our distraction. Do you think that uh, that this whole border, th it's been posited, and I confess I, I understand it, uh, the, the reasoning behind it, that this issue of the border is a a distraction from the real issues that he faces. Well, what I'm I'm really uh, optimistic about is I really think that the group that started working actually today, I believe, uh, to come up with a uh, a plan, a, a policy document that's comprehensive, will be satisfactory to address a, a, a good portion of the issues. I I'm hopeful that they are going to come up with that. Now the question is, of course, is he going to sign it? And I will also go out on a limb and say there's no way I, even he would risk shutting down the government again if he doesn't get what he wants in terms of a wall. 
Uh, and the reason no, for that, declare a national emergency and and take funds, and it'll end up in court. Right. The government won't shut down. We'll be in a court fight. Right, but that, as I said before, that will cause uh, that will set a real negative precedent. So I think if he did want to go that way, he's not going to shut it down because the poll numbers. That's the reason he opened it back up was because of the poll numbers. More I think than he opened else. it back up because the jet set was a little upset with LaGuardia and go, hey, I and can't get out of town and go to Europe. That was part of it as well. <laughs> it was not about our. You know, concern for the federal workforce. Right. The lower class and the middle class, they can eat it. But by God, when the jet set gets inconvenienced, we're ending this. So stuff. clearly, that was part <laughs> of it as well. So I don't think he's going to reopen the. Uh, he's going to shut down the government again. But as far as the declaring a national emergency, when he was on the South Lawn, I did ask him a question. This is a couple of weeks ago. I said to him, "What?" And he did respond. He, I said, "What?" Uh, programs are going to go for the Department of Defense are going to go unfunded if you reprogram money from their budget to pay for the wall if you declare a national emergency. And his reaction, his response was, there's plenty of, <laughs> there's plenty of money. That was his... his uh, he can put it back in there. We're informal around here. <laughs> uh, his response was, there's plenty of money, which... Uh, Really, that caused me to bristle, too, because he talked so much about rebuilding the military and whatnot. Well, you can't just move money around. Either it was appropriated for certain things or it wasn't, you know? So to say, well, there's plenty of money there, then why did you ask? If there's extra money, why did you ask for it, you know? Well, and, and in point of fact, they budgeted money last year that wasn't spent. It right. went unspent. So why do you need more if you didn't spend what we allocated to you? Right. That's, and that's always an issue with the appropriations process. And that's why end of uh, fiscal year, all the agencies try to spend, spend their money they have so that they can go ask for more for the following uh, budget. <laughs> you know, there's a logic yeah. to that. <laughs> but he is backed into a corner. And so it is possible that he's going to declare that emergency, knowing that he's going to get pushback from his own Republicans because they really do not want to see a Democrat have that same power. And by establishing this precedent of just declaring a national emergency when there is none. Now, certainly it'll be, go to the courts and I'm hopeful that the courts, even the Supreme Court, will say, well, don't you have to show that there's an yes. actual crisis before you can declare a crisis? What is the crisis? What is the emergency? Well, you have hopes. We'll see if it goes to the Supreme Court. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh, end this conversation. on um, Where do you think, having worked that border for as long as you did and uh, knowing the system as you do, what do you think should happen along the border? You've already said that some of what the Democrats have said is wrong. Um, do you think that we find uh, – Because here, here, and here's the preface for that. Everyone I speak to on the border goes, look, we're happy, actually happy, that the federal government is looking at the situation because there are real issues that have been ignored for – 40 or 50 right. years hopefully you will stumble across the real issue while you're down here and do something about it do you see that there were there will be things that could change that would work from day one as i mentioned i, I started in, in cust with customs in 1973 all right and from day one it's always been about staffing what this wall issue has done is it really did identify some of the actual needs. Those extra machines, I, like I said, I was there. They need more of that. 
They need more staffing. They need uh, to, act, uh, and it has to be trained staff to actually utilize all the technology that we have today that we didn't have back in 1973. So clearly, more technology investment, more, and it's drawing attention to this now. Uh, more technology, more more staffing, more training. Uh, more drones to go over uh, the, the areas, the, the whole uh, expanse. You didn't have drones in 1973. You have them now. If that, and my answer is anything that Customs and Border Protection, and uh, including the Border Patrol, identify as something that will help them. They're not saying that a wall, a, a, a great wall. Of and China, then prioritize it. And prioritize it. Those are the experts. And that is what gives me encouragement. That is what I think this group, this, this committee is going to do, is rely on the experts to tell them what will enable them to do a better job, more effective job at illegal Sam, immigration, I, I illegal a, drugs, etc. I have a real hope, and you, you've worked in the government, so I'll, I'll ask you. You, I'll just ask you the question, but I have a real hope that they'll take the politics out of this, the rhetoric out of this, right. in order to solve a real problem that has been ongoing through many administrations, Republican and Democrat. This is an opportunity. And if they look at it that way, where they look at what actually is needed, not go in with, I say, well, we got to at least give them the wall. No. Go in with what's needed and then fund that. I think you'll get and priority and priority. I think you'll get a bipartisan uh, bill done. What he does with it remains to be seen. But that's not their responsibility. What he's going to do with it, their responsibility is to come up with what's needed. And if they listen to the experts in Customs and Border Protection, in uh, uh, Border Patrol, then they'll come up with something that's going to be useful. And then the the issue is the the voice of the people to support it so that when they come out with it, they won't feel that they're going to be uh, hit at the, at the election time, you know? Listen, Paul, I really appreciate you doing this. I, and I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> that's, and, and thank you for talking about everything that we talked about. I, I appreciate it. The, the, once again, I am Brian Karam. The show is Just Ask the Question. Thanks for tuning in. Paul, you join us again uh, uh, at some other time. I hope. Let's talk about gun control next time. That's a good one. <laughs> That'll be fun. Maybe we'll have Alice Stewart with us when we do that. It'll be The two of you together would be great. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the, uh, the name of the show is Just Ask the Question. Thanks for joining us. I am Brian Carroll. Thank you.